Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we take a look at St. Timothy, Pastor and Confessor, the day that is uh, set aside in the church here, especially in Lutheran Service Book, is January 24 for our celebration, our remembrance, our commemoration of St. Timothy, Pastor and Confessor. Is it the 24th or the 23rd? It is the 24th, the 24th. And I know the uh, source that you are looking at right there, and uh, that is incorrect. Oh, good to know. There it is incorrect. Uh, and this is uh, the, the way LSB has the feasts and festivals. January 24th is St. Timothy, pastor and confessor. January 25th, the conversion of St. Paul. January 26th, St. Titus, pastor and confessor. So we have three in a row and uh, very three very significant days uh, here at Good Shepherd. And again, this is uh, Pastor Clint Poppy along with me, Pastor Adam Moline. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We, uh, we have a Wednesday service year-round, and so we have an opportunity to remember and celebrate many of these minor festivals. And rarely do we get a chance to do all three of these in any given year. So this is a great opportunity for us to examine all of them on our uh, Proclaiming the One Majoring in the Minors program. And um, some churches uh, combine the three. Some churches separate them into two, putting Titus and Timothy together. And uh, LSB keeps all three of them separate, and so we have a special day for each of these. St. Timothy, uh, pastor and confessor, has been observed and celebrated from the 13th century. And so, Pastor, can you tell us a little bit about Timothy? Who is he, and why should we have a day set aside to remember and commemorate him? Yeah, no, that's great. Um, Timothy is an important um, uh, figure in the New Testament. We have two books that are letters from St. Paul written to St. Timothy, uh, and he's also mentioned at the end of the book of Hebrews as well, uh, having just been released from some sort of prison stay or or something like that. Um, And uh, he's a big figure in the city of Ephesus, uh, which makes sense. He actually is kind of a, uh, I don't know if we can say it, uh, honestly, but for our modern understanding, he's a, a native Anatolian or Turkian. Uh, Hometown that, boy. He, yes, he, he's a native of the city of Lystra, which was in ancient Lyconia, which uh, we call Anatolia today. Um, and uh, he uh, is converted to Christianity somewhere between Paul's visit uh, to that area uh, the first time, and then the second time when Paul shows up, uh, Timothy is already a leading figure in the church that is there. Uh, his father was a Greek pagan, uh, at least at the beginning. And so, uh, for example, Timothy, we know, is not circumcised as a child. Uh, and yet his um, mother and his grandmother, uh, his mother Eunice, grandmother Lois, uh, are at least Jewish um, in the beginning and do convert to Christianity as well uh, at some point. Uh, we, we have a guess at the time he was born, AD 17. Uh, and so we can kind of say he's 
15, 20 years younger than Jesus would have been, uh, and we also have a good idea of when he died. Uh, the tradition is that he was martyred um, for preaching the gospel uh, to a, a group of pagans who were honoring um, a, a pagan god um, at that time, and that they stoned him to death in about 97 A.D., Okay, well, that gives us uh, some biographical information, uh, that which we know from the Scripture, that which we think we know from tradition. And since we have uh, Timothy as a prominent figure in the New Testament, it makes perfect sense that we would set aside a day to honor, remember, and commemorate St. Timothy, not for the sake of St. Timothy, but for the sake of the confession that he made. And, and I think it's important then to focus on St. Timothy in the sense that um, he becomes one of the first pastors of the church that uh, isn't an apostle or an eyewitness of the life of Jesus. He hears the word uh, and believes it. The Holy Spirit creates faith within his heart, and then he uh, leaves his life from before and serves in the church as a pastor, one of the first bishops of the city of Ephesus, uh, which today is on the coast of Turkey. And it's interesting that uh the propers in Lutheran service book, LSB, put these three minor festivals together, St. Timothy, the conversion of St. Paul, and St. Titus, because all three of them fit into that category of not being a part of the 12, the original 12 apostles. Right. And even, uh, I think, Timothy and Titus, even a little different than St. Paul, uh, in the sense that Jesus showed up and preached directly to St. Paul, uh, begging him or forcing him, I don't know how you want to say it, to become an apostle. And yet Timothy and Titus both believe the same way that you and I believe, by hearing the word preached to them and believing it, and then uh, going into the office of the Holy Ministry as a result, and being given the solemn task of preaching that gospel uh, to congregations also. And so it kind of helps focus our attention on the office of the Holy Ministry just by even uh, hearing about these two particular gentleman. And uh, it is it is always good to teach with regard to the office of the Holy Ministry, and Titus and Timothy both give us that uh, excellent opportunity. And yet the highest way to extol the office of the Holy Ministry is by proclaiming justification by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ, just like any other teaching or any other doctrine in Scripture. Pastor, before we let this uh, first segment get completely away from us, the gospel reading appointed for St. Titus or St. Timothy, pastor and confessor, uh, January 24, is Matthew 24, 42 to 47. Jesus said, "Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Now, uh, Pastor, many times 
when we have these readings appointed for a specific minor festival or feast day in the church, there is a direct mention uh, or a direct reference to the individual that we are uh, celebrating or commemorating the minor festival in the name of, St. Timothy, pastor and confessor. Uh, there's nothing about Timothy in any of these words, and uh, there's very good chance uh, when Jesus spoke these words, uh, Timothy is uh, not even a Christian yet. Uh, yeah, so been like 12, 13 years yeah, old, maybe. Yeah, just a young, just a young uh, punk uh, uh, preteen or teenager. Yeah. So uh, we have Jesus in his end of the world discourse toward the end of Matthew. Uh, stay awake. We hear words like these or similar to these words at the end of our church year or the first two weeks in Advent. So can you give me a connection between the remembrance of St. Timothy, pastor and confessor, and this particular gospel reading? Yeah, uh, uh, this is kind of the Home Alone gospel reading, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And so, you know, it might be easier to find a connection to Macaulay Culkin than to St. Timothy. But I think uh, what we actually see here is that St. Timothy, as one of these very first pastors, is doing the very things that Jesus uh, says in these particular words. He is actively preaching the word. He is uh, um, he is administering the gospel. He is doing the work of the church, uh, preaching that Christ may return at any moment. He's being a pastor. Uh, and that's really a great thing, and that's essentially what Jesus is asking. He says, be ready because I could come back at any time. And Timothy is doing that, actively preaching and administering the gospel so that people might be saved when that day comes, whenever it might be. It might be tomorrow, right? And so we as pastors even today need to be actively visiting uh, visiting members, we need to be uh, interacting with them, we need to be preaching the gospel faithfully, we need to uh, do all the things that we're required to by our God, because the time is short, he's coming soon, and we need to be ready. So this text then, if I'm, if I'm hearing you uh, correctly, Pastor, this text is extolling the pastor and confessor part of our commemoration of St. Timothy, pastor and confessor, extolling that which a pastor and confessor does, uh, the function or the duties of the office of the holy ministry. Yeah, I definitely say that's what um, this is saying. Stay awake, Jesus says. Uh, many times people outside the church, pastor, they, they hear this kind of, of a message from the word of God and uh, the first thing they think of is, oh, here you go again. Christians trying to doom and gloom and scare people into Christianity. Is that what Jesus is doing here? Um, I mean, I, I don't think that's exactly what he's doing, but I think he, in his uh, divine wisdom, sees the state of the church that will come. And uh, to be completely frank, we kind of live in the most apathetic age of Christianity that has ever existed. Christianity uh, for the last hundred years hasn't really seemed to be much at threat, 
right? Uh, we've just kind of going through the motions. We kind of are lazy in our faith. Uh, we can choose to go to church on a Sunday morning, or we can choose some weeks to sleep in. We can choose to go to church, or we can uh, skip it and go on a trip or fishing and things like that. It's not a big deal to many people today. It's just kind of something that we do because our parents taught us to. And uh, in a sense, then, you can kind of see the way that we are lulled into sleep. And I think that's exactly why Christ says, stay awake, because um, the the gospel, the, the, the saving faith is like a passing rain shower, and, and it seems to be kind of passing away. The uh, I was just thinking of the Jesus speaking to the churches in Revelation, and uh, you know, you said we're, we're living in the most lackadaisical time of all. What about the church where Jesus says, uh, you're neither hot nor cold, I spew you from my mouth? They were pretty lackadaisical there too, weren't they? They were, and now take that idea and apply it to the entire church on earth almost. And I'm not, I'm, I'm speaking in generalizations no, no, no. to make my I, point, but it's, uh, there's a certain degree where that's the truth. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. And yet it seems like um, things are spiraling in the church in a very, very downward way where uh, the tide has gone out. Many people are found to be lacking and wanting. And it's a great opportunity to preach the word and to extol Jesus and Jesus alone as Savior of the world. When we uh, come back from our break, we're going to continue our look at the gospel reading for St. Titus, St. Timothy, pastor and confessor, January 24. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we are looking at St. Timothy, pastor and confessor. We set aside January 24th in the church year for this minor festival. Have to apologize for uh, all of my slip of the tongues with Titus and Timothy. I went to the St. Louis Seminary. The St. Louis Seminary Chapel is called the Chapel of St. Titus and Timothy. It's hard for me to say Timothy without saying Titus, and so mea culpa, mea culpa. In our um, in our first segment, we uh, looked at some of the historical background, both scriptural and uh, by tradition, with regard to Timothy, and we introduced our gospel reading, Matthew 24, 42 to 47. And before we get back into that gospel, Pastor, I want to uh, read the words of our gradual uh, words from Ezekiel 34 and Jeremiah 23, because I think they fit in so well with our gospel reading for St. Timothy, pastor and confessor, January 24th. Behold, I will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. 
and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Pastor, is that gradual talking about Jesus as the good shepherd, or the pastors who are under shepherds of the good shepherd that are pastors and confessors today? I don't think that you can uh, divide the two. I think the reality is that if a pastor is faithful, he actually is doing everything necessary to take himself out of the equation, uh, everything possible to take himself out of the equation so that Christ can be doing the work through him and his word on the very way that Christ promises to work. And so I don't think you can uh, pit the two against each other. I think both are absolutely true. Um, A truth is that Christ is working through the pastors to do these very things that the gradual talks about. Uh, And that is very, very well said. That's uh, exactly what I was, uh, the kind of an answer I was hoping for, because when we're looking at this gospel reading from Matthew 24, 42 to 47, I think the same thing is happening here. We've got Jesus telling everybody to stay awake and be ready, um, And then he's talking about the faithful and wise servants. And the servant who goes out from the master, we've got both Jesus and the servants that Jesus will call, and they're all doing the same thing. They're all preaching the same message. Am I I connecting the dots uh, to your satisfaction? No, that's exactly what I I would say as well, and that's what a pastor does. A pastor is not there to give you his opinion or his own word or what he thinks. He's there to speak Scripture to you, and uh, where Scripture's silent, your pastor's job is to be silent. Um, He's there to give you what Christ says and what Christ has taught and to take himself out of the equation. And in that way, then he is the faithful and wise servant um, that the master has set over a particular congregation or house. I'm going to uh, to do something uh, that's very dangerous. I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question, and I'm going to expect an answer. Now, the whole idea behind a rhetorical question is you should already know the answer, or the, uh, the answer should be plain as the nose on your face. Sometimes when Jesus asks these rhetorical questions, they're not as plain as the answer is as plain as it could be or should be because of our sin. So Jesus says in verse 45 of Matthew 24, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over the, his household to give them their food at the proper time? Pastor, who is it? Well, you can even tell by the words that he's using there, which are quoting the Psalms, even the prayers that we pray at our meals each day, right? Uh, we give thanks to you, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us. Or, that's the wrong prayer. I've got the wrong meal prayer there. <laughs> but now, that's, you, had the post, the words, you had the post-communion candle. It's still there. a meal, right? The eyes um, of all look to the you. The eyes of all look to you, O Lord, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Uh, Christ is even quoting those words from the Psalms where they're taken from. And so the answer is, of course, God is that faithful servant. And then, of course, by extension, Jesus is the faithful servant. Can we continue then that uh, God is the faithful servant who has appointed Jesus for his Good Friday and Easter service to win forgiveness of sins and feed us with his body and blood? Can we by extension say that that applies to all those who are called into the office of the Holy Ministry and who are faithful to Christ in that task? Yes, I think we can. And uh, I think that's what... um, 
that's what connects all of these things here with regard to our commemoration, our remembrance, our celebration of the Minor Festival, St. Timothy, Pastor and Confessor. So, Pastor Moline, what is it today that makes for a faithful pastor? A faithful pastor is a pastor who delivers God's Word and the sacraments in their truth and purity, uh, that the Holy Spirit might work through those things to create and sustain faith within the lives of a congregation. Uh, And he does that uh, in season and out of season. He sticks to the Word, the Word, the Word. So do we have confessors today uh, in the church in the same way that we had confessors in the church a thousand years ago, fifteen hundred years ago, two thousand years ago. I, I, if I understand what you mean by confessor, yes, the answer is yes. Okay, and so explain what that is. Well, uh, I'd say we have people who preach the word and and administer it faithfully and. Uh, uh, really believe the Word does what it does, and that the Holy Spirit works in it to create and sustain faith. Um, and, uh, and we have people constantly proclaiming that Word um, to all who will listen. When I think of uh, confessors, um, I don't immediately think of the people who signed their name to the Book of Concord, the uh, Confessions of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and then stuck out their necks and said, uh, chop them off if uh, you don't like this. I think of people like John the Baptist, who said, uh, he, Jesus, must increase. I, John, must decrease. Behold, look ye there, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who called out sin even when the consequences threw him in jail and cost him his head. Uh, People who speak the truth no matter what. And the, the pages of Scripture are dripping with these kind of examples. Am I, uh, am, am I uh, barking up the right tree there, Pastor? Well, I think so. I, I think of the countless millions of pastors whose names we don't know that faithfully preach the Word and minister the sacraments uh, to the detriment of their own self so much that their name is not preserved in prosperity, uh, not prosperity, in um uh, Posterity. There we go. I'm having a good time with English language this morning, so uh, we're in good shape. Posterity. Uh, and those people uh, are really, I think, even a greater example of that. The fact that there are now billions of Christians in the world that have been uh, built on the backs of the preaching and teaching of those folks is an amazing reality. Jesus gives a uh, great commendation and blessing for those who are faithful confessors, and especially for the pastors who are faithful confessors. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Uh, Jesus says then, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. What is that second part of that blessing? Christ Christ blesses and commends those faithful pastors and faithful confessors, but what is that second part there, uh, set him over all his possessions? Well, I think the thing that we have to remember is what are God's possessions, the ones that he matters, uh, that matter to him. Uh, and I think a helpful thing for us as Lutheran Christians is to go back to the words of the uh, small catechism, 
where um, we, the second article of the creed, where uh, he has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and innocent suffering and death, that I might be his own, or in other words, be his possession. And so every Christian is that possession, is the one that God has purchased and won for himself with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the faithful servants uh, that are doing the word and the sacrament the way that God desires are placed over those possessions to continue to keep them and sustain them and watch over them until finally they are brought into eternity and God's eternal kingdom. And so, um, I mean, it is definitely here talking about the pastoral ministry in that sense that uh, we are um, watchmen over the possessions of God to keep them in the faith by preaching the word and by administering the sacraments. And um, that's kind of a neat thing here. I uh, I think of the parable of the pearl of great price, the per- parable of the uh, man who found a treasure in a field. It's it's hard for us to comprehend the fact that we are the treasure. We are the prized possession of the Lord. And then God in his love and his mercy appoints people to be stewards over those prized possessions, those souls that have been bought by the blood of Jesus. And that is why a pastor uh, dare not be in it for personal gain. He dare not be in it for making a name for himself or getting the latest book deal or becoming a celebrity. Uh, It is a position of service and a call to faithfulness to be faithful to Christ and his word. I I think that's exactly right, and that's why the pastor must be well-grounded as well in the word and not to be following all the whims and uh, winds of the world, blowing this way and that, fads, fads. uh, listening to the voice of the world instead of the voice of Christ, listening to um, the voices uh, that uh, would seek to throw the church off or focus on other things. I think still of uh, Pope Francis here a week or two ago uh, when he... uh, kind of went universalist even. Uh, We can't do that. We need to stick with what God has given for his possession, which is the word and the sacrament, uh, faithfully, in season, out of season, in all times and places. And for our hearers, this is what you should be looking for as well. Uh, Not every pastor has the uh, charm and good looks like a Pastor Moline. (laughs) Not every uh, pastor is... uh, loud and bombastic like Pastor Poppy. Uh, Pastors have different gifts that have been given by the Lord, different uh, personalities, uh, different quirks, and we need to look beyond these uh, superficial things. What makes for a faithful pastor, what makes for a pastor who is truly a confessor in the way that we're talking here is someone who is faithful to Christ and his word and who in season and out of season points people to Christ and the word of God. That doesn't change. The fads change. Um, Pastors change, uh, especially in their age and appearance. But the word of God, the word of the Lord endures forever. And uh, look at what happens for that faithful pastor. We uh, have that word blessed, a beatitude is uh, for him uh, in that ministry and in that work. Amen, amen. We need to take a break. This is Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We're looking at St. Timothy, pastor and confessor. 
January 24th in the church here. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we are looking at St. Timothy, pastor and confessor. January 24th is the day that the church has set aside to remember, honor, and celebrate this minor festival. I'm Pastor Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Moline. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in, and you can check out all of our programming at our radio station website, www.thecross957.org, and we also have lots of podcasts. Check out the archives. Our uh, church services are broadcast live on KNNALP 95.7 right here in Lincoln, Nebraska. And so um, this is a a great service that we uh, love to provide, and also this uh, Majoring in the Miners program, an opportunity to take a look at the minor festivals that don't always get the examination that the regular Sunday morning services uh, command. So here we are. We uh, In our first two segments, we looked at the Gospel reading, Matthew 24, 42 to 47. And now we want to look at the first reading. I know Pastor Moline, uh, his eyes are getting bigger and bigger as we're, uh, as we're getting closer. We're in his wheelhouse here. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 5. Pastor? <clears throat> Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek." As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for the the observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Okay, the first reading, Acts 16, 1-5, appointed for St. Timothy, pastor and confessor. Now I know in our very, very first part of our first segment, we talked a little bit about this scriptural historical background with regard to Timothy. Um, Derby and Lystra or Lystra, uh, where are we at and uh geographically, and where are we at now in Acts 16 with regard to Paul's missionary journeys? Well, yeah, uh, in the northwest corner of the Mediterranean Sea, there's an island called Cyprus. And if you were to go north of Cyprus into Turkey, uh, Lystra is just to the north of the western shore of Cyprus, and Derby is uh, just north of the eastern shore of Cyprus. But they're both in uh, uh, the, the Turkish peninsula there, is what we kind of think of it as today, um, and that's their location then. They're 
probably 20 miles away from the coast uh, and just kind of small little towns there in that area. The second part of your question, uh, so that's the geography part. Um, in the, the book of Acts part, uh, this is uh, immediately after the Jerusalem Council, which is an important thing. It's one of the very first, not one of the, it is the first Christian council where they get together to talk about matters of theology. And the question is, can uh, non-Jewish people be Christian? Can the Gentiles be converted to Christianity? And if so, what does it look like? And this is a a big question for the early church for a long time because uh, there had kind of been this assumption that the church was only for Jewish people. And uh, uh, of course it's not. It's for the entire world. And that's what's decided and reminded again at the uh, Council of Jerusalem. Afterwards, Paul and Barnabas kind of get into a little bit of a a scuffle and a disagreement, and they separate and go different directions. And uh, so that leads us then to Acts 16, where Paul meets this guy Timothy and is kind of looking for a new sidekick to help him in his preaching and teaching ministry. Uh, And uh, Timothy is the guy that he, he decides should do that. So how many missionary journeys are recorded for us in the Acts of the Apostles, uh, Paul's missionary journeys? Well, um, there are three. Um, There's uh, the... uh, They kind of expand each one just a little bit bigger, and, and the third one involves a lot of Paul being in jail, of course, um, and it's possible then that he was released temporarily and went to Spain. There's some traditions that say that and some that don't, but uh, there's three. Okay, so of these three, which one is the one where Paul and Barnabas uh, got into a little bit of a tiff, and which one are we talking about here in Acts 16? Well, uh Paul and Barnabas got into their little tiff here uh, right after the Council of Jerusalem. So it's just right before this when uh, when that happens. In fact, if you look in your Bible, the very end of Acts 15 uh, says, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, we're going to go over here to this area. And Barnabas says, no, I want to go over here to that area. Um, and uh, he wants... Barnabas also wants to take his family member, John Mark, with him, who Paul has had issues with before, and so that's the disagreement. And it is on this very missionary trip that that disagreement takes place just a few verses before uh, we meet Timothy here. Okay, so we've got uh, we've got Paul looking for, as you said, uh, looking for a new companion or a new uh, sidekick, and it says here, the uh, Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So we've already had Lystra. What's this Iconium thing? Yeah, Iconium um, is a a city that is north of Lystra uh, and a little bit to the east, and then it is west of Derby and to the north of Derby. And so the three of them kind of make a triangle pointing upwards there, once again, north of Cyprus on the uh, Anatolian Peninsula. You said, uh, thank you, you said that um, <clears throat> one of the, uh, in Acts 15, it's the uh, the record of the, the first great council in the church and uh, very, very uh, important words for us to uh, study and uh, be commended to part of the part of the discussion or most of the discussion was uh, how do gentiles fit into the kingdom of god if they do at all and the the bottom line 
of this. Uh, help me out here, Pastor, if I misspeak in any way, shape, or form. But the bottom line of this is that the uh, Jews uh, should welcome Gentiles into the fold and that uh, the Jews should not put any extra burdens on the Gentile Christians. And yet for the sake of consciences, the Gentile Christians should abstain from sexual immorality and not eat meat sacrificed to idols. Uh, is, that the, is that the big thing to take away here? <laughs> That, that's the big thing, and in fact, um, again, right before Barnabas and Paul break up, uh, the Jerusalem Council writes a letter to the Gentile believers that states those very things. Okay, and so the matter of circumcision is, uh, a, uh, it's been fulfilled in Christ, and that uh, Gentile believers do not have to be circumcised in order to be Christians. And so we have here in Acts 16, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So was Paul afraid to make the good confession? Was he making the good confession in light of the fact that these uh, Gentiles that they would be ministering to um, had a uh, weak faith or a misunderstanding with regard to this, a, a stumbling block, so to say? Uh, how would you reconcile with the fact that he didn't need to be circumcised, but Paul wanted him circumcised? Well, uh, it has to do with, uh, again, I think we talked about this in one of our earlier segments, uh, a pastor's job is to make sure he gets out of the way of the gospel. And so Paul, his missionary work is to preach Christ crucified to every person who will hear. And uh, what's happening is is that um, the uncircumcision of Timothy is becoming a stumbling block that's preventing him from getting to that point because the Jewish people living in that area uh, keep on saying, why should we listen to you? You're hanging out with this Gentile. Why should we listen to you? You've got this uh, Greek with you uh, who's not circumcised. And so rather than debate the uh, periphery issue, uh, by circumcising Timothy, Paul can stick with the important business, which is Christ crucified and risen for the sins of the world. Um, because if anybody says that, say, no, he, actually, he's circumcised. We're good to go. Uh, and uh, that's kind of the reason that he's doing it. And pastors lots of times do this, right? Um, they need to make sure that the things that are personal issues that would take away from the gospel, they take care of and get out of the way of the gospel. And that's what uh, Timothy and Paul do here. That is a uh, very, very well said, Pastor. We do not have a contradiction here in Scripture. We have pastoral care, or as Brother Kuhlman would like to say, high pastoral care, uh, the, the most excellent pastoral care. And uh, this, is, this is something we need to be constantly looking at with regard to the office and the work of uh, the holy ministry. And uh, then toward the end of our text here, Pastor, Acts 16, 1 to 5, as they went on their way, and now Paul and Timothy are together, uh, through the cities, they delivered to them, the cities, for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. They were faithful to their task. They delivered the, the word that had been uh, agreed upon at the council. And then verse 5, 
So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Pastor, your comment on Acts 16, verse 5, uh, with regard to the faithful missionary work of Paul and Timothy. Well, I think it's important to point out how the churches were strengthened in the faith. Uh, Paul and Timothy are bringing them the Word of God as it has been put together by the council in Jerusalem. And it's not that the council in Jerusalem is making up something, it's that they have gotten together and they've looked at what Christ's Word has said and what the Scriptures say, and they have come to a conclusion, and now that conclusion is being preached and taught in the divine service to the people um, that uh, Paul and Timothy are running into. Through that preaching, through the Word, uh, the Holy Spirit is strengthening and preserving the entire Christian church on earth and keeping it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith, again, to use kind of catechetical language there again. And that's really key. That's what always is happening in the book of Acts, is uh, through preaching and through the administration of the sacraments, the church comes into being, is strengthened, and sustains itself. And uh, as you so eloquently said before, we uh, as pastors, uh, we do not want to be stumbling blocks. We don't want to be in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, tune in to our program on St. Titus uh, and the uh, observation day for St. Titus is January 26. We have a, a sister program out there on that because Paul had Timothy circumcised, and he did not have Titus circumcised. And so, again, this is not a contradiction. This is simply pastoral care, high pastoral care in action. And we'll talk more about that decision and the... uh, um, uh, the, the reasons why with Titus in our uh, other program. We need to take a break. We'll be right back. When we come back, we're going to look at the epistle, 1 Timothy 6, 11 to 16. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. All praise for faithful pastors who preached and taught your word. For Timothy and Titus, true servants of their Lord. Lord, help your pastors nourish the souls within your care so that your church may flourish and all your blessings share. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we are looking at January 24th on our church calendar, the day that is set aside for St. Timothy, pastor and confessor. I read to you in that uh, intro coming into our fourth segment today, verse or stanza 11 of LSB 517, By All Your Saints in Warfare. That's our bumper music for these uh, particular saint days. And uh, that day, or that stanza, uh, lumps Timothy and Titus in together. Um, Many similarities, many differences, and we'll have an an opportunity to explore uh, some of those differences in the uh, saint 
Titus majoring in the minors program. Check that out. But right now we're going to look at the epistle reading for St. Timothy, Pastor and Confessor Day, 1 Timothy 6, 11 to 16. Pastor Moline, take it away. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Okay, we have the closing verses of 1 Timothy chapter 6, and uh, it goes on uh, after verse 16. Uh, there's, a, there's a few more um, conclusion kind of verses, but this is pretty much the end of 1 Timothy here. And when it starts out here, but, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Now, in the first half of 1 Timothy chapter 6, if uh, recollection serves me, Pastor, Paul is exhorting Timothy to beware of false teachers and false pastors. Is, uh, is my memory uh, correct in that? Anyone who teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. I'd say then I was uh, right on that. Uh, very good. And what verse or verses did you just read, Pastor? Uh, well, that would be verse 3 of chapter 6. Okay. So the whole chapter pretty much is... Uh, uh, a warning against false pastors, false teachers, false preachers in the church. And now we have this but, but we're turning away from that falsehood. We're turning away from the false preaching and the false teaching. But for you, O man of God, flee these things. So we have this word picture here that uh, the Holy Spirit is creating for us through the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. Flee the falsehood, flee the false teachings and the false teachers, and pursue. And then we got a whole laundry list of stuff here. So uh, before we get into this list of things that Timothy should pursue, uh, comments or thoughts about that that stark contrast between fleeing one thing and pursuing something else. Yeah, uh, I mean, flee, of course, the idea is is that you're running away from as fast as you possibly can. And the thing you're running away from is false teaching. Uh, I think that's important for us to think about and remember now because oftentimes we just tolerate things that are false teaching and we tolerate the false teachers that uh, teach them. In fact, maybe we read their book and uh, as we walk past the row of... Um, 
their faces at uh, Barnes & Noble. We pick it up and we skim it and we look at it. Maybe we even buy it. Um, that book that uh, teaches false teaching, instead, uh, what I like to do is I like to turn them around backwards so you can't see the face and maybe the book's hidden. Um, <laughs> you know, put it in a different part in the library so it doesn't get found for a while. <laughs> maybe these are bad things to suggest, but we ought to run away from it. We shouldn't let it in the house. We should uh, keep it away from uh, the people that we love, and we ought to stick to what the truth is. And there's an unspoken and yet implied reality here as well. To know the difference between false teaching and real teaching, I actually have to spend some time studying God's Word and understanding what it says so that I'm able to run away from the scary things and towards the things that are good. That is, that, that last point that you made there is extremely important. If you don't know the difference between right and wrong, good teaching, bad teaching, false teaching, proper teaching, how do you know what to flee, avoid, and run from? We, uh, we make excuses for false teaching. We tolerate false teaching. Uh, we let it in the door and don't think it's that big a deal. And we fail to see God's word clearly teaches that any false teaching in the church is like a cancer. And what does a cancer do? A cancer spreads. And ultimately, what does a cancer do? A cancer kills. And so the loving, caring thing to do is with the precision laser of God's word is to excise or to cut out that particular cancerous spot. But, Pastor, that might hurt someone's feelings. It might hurt someone's feelings, but if it saves someone's life eternally, um, then uh, a feeling getting hurt or even a pastor being uh, criticized or thrown out of his office for being faithful, it's worth it. It's worth it. And uh, we're, we're called to be faithful to Christ <laughs> and uh, not to be faithful to the whims, fads, and feelings of our people. And so the things that we are pursuing now, Pastor, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Um, seems like I've seen some of these kind of lists before, Pastor. What are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about the things that describe what a Christian looks like, uh, and uh, you know, I think you could go through them each individually. They all spring out of God giving his word and uh, the, the gift of faith to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. For example, he starts with righteousness, right? And uh, you can't help but think all the way back to the book of Genesis when uh, uh, Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Well, what did Abraham believe uh, when God came to him and said, leave your land and go to a place that I'm going to send you and uh, your descendants will be the blessing for the entire world? Abraham believed it and that was counted to him as righteousness. And so the same is true for us. We believe God, and as a result, we have righteousness. We believe God, and so we have godliness. We believe God, and, and I mean, that's the very definition of faith. God gives his word, we hear the word, we believe it, and all these things flow out of that. Um, well said, well said, <laughs> Pastor. Uh, there's, there's so much in this text, I want to keep moving here. Uh, fight the good fight of the faith. You know, we've, we've had a lot of discussion and uh, a lot of debate with, uh, with regard to civil unrest in our communities, with regard to civil unrest in Washington, D.C. Uh, sometimes 
people's words are taken out of context. Um, what is the Holy Spirit through Paul telling Timothy and the church here? We are to fight the good fight of the faith. What does that mean, and what are we being called to do? Are we all being called to uh, a crusade where we're going to kill the uh, unbeliever? Uh, what are we being called to do, Pastor? Well, um, I wouldn't say that'd be the first step of fighting the good fight. It'd be uh, killing the unbeliever. Um, rather, the the fight is mainly done with words, uh, so preaching the truth. A war doctrine. of words. Yep. Now, um, if um, if pagans are coming over the hill with the purpose of killing your faithful Christian family uh, and fellow town citizens, and of course you'd want to protect them, and and that's a godly thing to do as well, but uh, to go out and actively just kill people who disagree with you is terribly wrong and inappropriate. And I think it's important to say the the fight is in the the realm of uh, uh, God's Word as well. It's not a political fight, and uh, so we'll be the Christian church, whether Donald Trump is president, whether Joe Biden is president, whether Barack Obama is president, whether uh, George Bush is president. Um, the, The reality is a much bigger picture than uh, those little unimportant things of modern politics, and that's important to point out and say today. Thank you, Pastor, and uh, very, very wise words and important words for us to hear. Um, Paul calls Timothy and talks about making the good confession, and then a couple of verses later, he connects Timothy's good confession to the good confession that Christ made before Pilate. How is that true of the Christian today? Yeah, uh, I think it is important thing to be true for the Christian today to make the good confession because uh, as Christians we are constantly forced to do that in this world. And so I think it'd be a good thing to read Luke chapter 23 as you consider these words, which Luke, of course, is a compatriot of Paul as well, and tells us the things that Jesus said before Pontius Pilate. Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus spoke the truth and said, yes, you have said so. Uh, And uh, that's the good confession then that Jesus makes before Pontius Pilate. Yes, uh, I am the, the Christ. I am the king. I am the, the one who is to come. Uh, and uh, as a result, what's Pilate do? Jesus is crucified. Yep, kills him. Um, and uh, we need to be willing to, to, as if it's our work, of course, it's not. We need to be willing to speak the truth, even if it means our death, and to be unafraid of the truth, even if we might die. Uh, there's countless Christians throughout the ages who have uh, fought to be at church even when it meant they might get arrested, they might get sick, they might die, they might be killed, they might be uh, prosecuted, they might have all their money taken away, they might be imprisoned, and yet they've still uh, spoke that truth and proclaimed it as the reality of the world, and we need to be willing to do the same thing. (laughs) They still fought the good fight of the faith. Uh, Pastor, I was reminded of uh, John chapter 12 as well where some people made the good confession, but some were afraid to make the good confession because they feared the favor of man rather than the favor of God. My friends, take heart. You are baptized. Embrace the death because that means 
you have embraced Christ. Pastor, would you bring things to a close by praying the collect of the day for St. Timothy, pastor and confessor? Lord Jesus Christ, you have always given to your church on earth faithful shepherds such as Timothy to guide and feed your flock. Make all pastors diligent to preach your holy word and administer your means of grace and grant your people wisdom to follow in the way that leads to eternal life. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. For Pastor Moline, I'm Pastor Poppy. Thank you for tuning in today, proclaiming the one, majoring in the minors. We'll see you again next time. God's richest blessings in Christ.